Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I'm excited because I have with me Andrew Crisp. Andrew is the owner and the, uh, the founder and director of Carrington Crisp. And he is also the author of a recent report about the future of learning in higher education and specifically around the MBA experience, as well as other types of learning and programs. And a really quick background about Andrew. He is the owner of Carrington Crisp, which is established in 2003. And Carrington Crisp works with business schools and universities globally, advising on branding, marketing, and communication issues. Prior to setting up Carrington Crisp, Andrew led the agency team that carried out the London Business School rebrand. He also worked as the employment correspondent for the European newspaper as marketing director for any for internet business, writing training books for comedians Mel Smith and Griff Rice Jones as a student campaign leader at the Industrial Society. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to dig in a little bit and talk about the future of the MBA degree and, and learning and how that really relates to the employment market and, and what schools really need to think about doing to continue to innovate and stay relevant. But before we get into that conversation, tell me a little bit about you know your background and, and who you are. Oh, well, I'm delighted to be with you, uh, Al State. Yeah, as you said, we set up Carrington Crisp well, 17, 18 years ago now, uh, specifically at that stage to work with business schools on their branding issues, having worked previously with a, a corporate comms agency uh, where we did the London Business School rebrand. And since that time, we've probably worked with, I would think, nearly 200 institutions uh, around the world, 35 countries to date, doing a range of projects with them, quite a lot on the MBA, inevitably over uh, the last decade in particular, but also master's degrees, executive education, marketing, branding, school websites, and alumni relations. So a, a real sort of composite of different projects uh, with business schools in different places. That's great. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your background and, and some of the work that you do. So what I want to dig into is um, I know that earlier this fall, this summer, you released a new report where you did a survey across some employers as well as some prospective you know, uh, students about um, the MBA education. And so I would love to maybe just talk to you a little bit about you know, what was the focus of the report and maybe just to start, you know, why did you go, go about uh, conducting this research to begin with? Yeah, it, it's interesting. So uh, in the last decade, we've run a study three times called uh, Executive Education Futures, uh, really looking at how that marketplace was developing. And then in the past year, with the pandemic going on, we've been running a number of studies, one with the Executive MBA Council, one with GMAC and EFMD, one with LinkedIn, all looking at the future of higher education. And one of the themes that came through really clearly was not just executive education, but lifelong learning as well. So we put the two of them together. Uh, we've run this study earlier this year with, I think, 2,500 individual learners we surveyed just over 500 employers right around the world, really trying to understand their perspectives on the future, what they want from the experience, what they want from their careers and how that's driving their learning. Uh, and from employers' perspectives, 
what skills they're looking for, what, what changes they're seeing in the labor market, and how COVID uh, has impacted that. That's great. And, and one of the things that you mentioned there is that you've, you've run the survey about three times now. And I'm curious, uh, as because you've done this so many times, you know, what were some of maybe the changes from the last time you did this? Or what were some of the things that you saw that really stuck out? Because either because just the times of which we're in, where, you know, we are thinking about what this future of work, you know, looks like, and the, you know, maybe whether it's the change of pace in the market or digital transformation, um, as well as certainly, obviously, COVID and the impact that COVID had. Uh, I certainly think that there probably were some prevailing trends that were there before COVID existed. And then, you know, as a result of COVID, there probably was some even more trends on top of that. And so, you know, just having done this from a couple times now, what were some of those changes that really popped up in this version of the report? Good question. I think online learning isn't new. It was, it's been there for, for many years, of course. But the experience people have had in the last year working from home suddenly raised the potential for online learning. It's something that they'd heard about. Perhaps you know, they knew somebody who had done some online learning. But now, having worked from home and found, all right, it, maybe it wasn't ideal at times, but actually it was something that was very doable there's no reason why they shouldn't move their learning in that direction. I think the other thing that, that's really clear is the quality of the experience of online learning has improved dramatically. And so whereas people might have been reluctant in the past because they, they wanted to stay face-to-face, they wanted to be on campus, whatever, they're now saying, actually, this isn't a bad thing to do. This is a, a good way to learn. I can get some things out of it that I didn't really think about before. And so this is a a reasonable way forward in my learning. And I think most importantly, employers are prepared to accept it because they've been driving their businesses uh, with everybody working from home in many cases. And they found that it's worked pretty well. Productivity has gone up in many cases. So they're more than open to accepting online qualifications now, which therefore means those learning are happy to learn online because they know they're going to get a good career out of it. That's great. And you, one of the things that you mentioned, uh, you mentioned online learning is not new. And, and I think, you know, one of the other things that's not new is just kind of this concept of, of lifelong learning, something that's been talked about for a while, whether that's at the more undergraduate level or, you know, the college and university level, but also at the graduate level for that matter. I'd be curious to know from, from your end, if this is not, this concept is not new, what's new about it now? You know, why is it getting all the attention now versus all the times in the past that maybe perhaps you know, we've had this conversation? I, I think there are two things. Uh, the first of all is the, the, the big strategic piece, which is people are living longer, therefore they're working longer, and therefore they need to change their careers and, and add new skills, to make sure they remain employable uh, as their uh, long, uh, longer life of working go, goes on into the future. So, so that, that's the first thing. The second thing is it's now much easier to learn going forward, the flexibility that technology provides, the opportunity that it provides, the idea that somebody, I don't know, perhaps in Vietnam, who would have said, yeah, I'd love to go to Harvard, but I can't. It's too expensive. It's too much of my time. I can't give up my job. I've got to stay here in Vietnam. Today, maybe they don't go to Harvard, but they can go to a pretty good school and they don't have to leave home. They don't have to give up their career. The cost is much reduced. The return is enormous for them. And so that possibility of flexibility that's come through online learning through technology has changed the potential for lifelong learning. Certainly. And 
maybe from just a university or higher education perspective, you know, we, we know that there are online programs and, and there have been for a while, whether those are more short form courses or as well as full on degrees, certainly plenty of online MBA programs in particular. But I would be curious to know, would we think about lifelong learning? What do you think needs to happen maybe for employers, as well as universities or even employees for that matter, to really embrace this concept of lifelong learning to, to, to make it real? Because, you know, we've certainly seen it in, in some places, but I presume you wouldn't be doing the report and finding this data if it were everything were perfect. So clearly we have some ways to go. Uh, but what really needs to change either from a mindset or even maybe from an infrastructure perspective to actually operationalize this at scale? Yeah, I, I, so there are numerous parts of this. I think you know, one of them is content. One of them is acceptance of qualification, as I said earlier on. One of them is cost uh, and opportunity. One of them is there's enough good quality programs out there. It's really, you look at the data, GMAT application data, uh, GMAT test taker data. And I think last year, across the board, MBAs were down 0.2% in terms of applications. But in terms of online MBAs, 86% of programs in the US were up. You know, it's an enormous change in terms of the market. And I think it's that recognition that's that you know, acceptance of this new market amongst employers that is driving people to go to uh, schools and say, I want to learn online now. I want to learn blended. I don't necessarily want to be on campus. Maybe I want some of my time on campus. So people are quite attracted by this idea of being able to switch between one and the other or to have some of their program in one way, some of it digital. So I think that yeah, it's that opportunity and a range of top quality schools now offering online that makes it attractive both to the employer and the employee. The other part of it is content and, and the flexibility you can have in content. Almost, almost build your own MBA program in a way. So much more so, of course, there are always electives. There were always uh, opportunities to do particular uh, pieces of content. But what we now have is a much more driven by the individual rather than driven by the choices that a, a school would offer. Uh, and I think that's important because it means that if I'm working, if I'm thinking of going to get an MBA, if I'm talking to my employer about what they want in terms of future skills, it's much easier now to match these all together. Uh, whereas before, yeah, I might find a school, but it might be in the wrong part of the country or the wrong part of the world. That's not an issue anymore. And so it's a very exciting and very dynamic marketplace today. No, I agree. And, and and that's what I think the promise and the excitement, you know, really is. But, you know, I think there also seems to be somewhat of a disconnect right now or a disconnect perhaps out there. And I think you may have seen it in some of the reports. I remember in the report you did, I remember seeing a headline about 77% believe that the MBA degree needs to evolve to be relevant for the future, which maybe talk a little bit more about, you know, what that means or, or what, what that kind of could look like in, a, in the future where the MBA degree has evolved. I, I, again, there are multiple layers here. That, you know, there are you know, traditional pieces of content. You know, finance is always a big mainstay of the MBA. What does finance mean today? Does it mean simply doing another corporate finance program? Or does it mean doing a fintech program? Because you know, that's important in terms of what employers want. The second level is perhaps more values-related, more purpose-related. You know, we see we have another study we do specifically called Tomorrow's MBA. In the last two years, Four things have come through really strongly, responsible management, ethical leadership, diversity, equality, and inclusion, 
all of these sorts of issues are much more to the fore now. They're important for employers, and therefore they have to be components of an MBA. And then, of course, digital transformation. It's a massive issue. You know, again, if you go back, you look at the MBA in the past, whether it was finance or general management or traditional things like sales and marketing, whichever, whatever it was, all of a sudden, if you've got an MBA program which doesn't have digital transformation, you're missing out. You know, you're, you're really not delivering what employers and employees want. So you know, big changes in terms of content, but also big changes in terms of back to this point about flexibility. You know, as an employer, I want short, sharp interventions, bringing new skills that people can learn on a Monday night and apply on a Tuesday morning, rather than sending somebody off to campus for a year or two years, then they come back, and within six months, they've resigned and moved on to another job. The employer's missed out. So this opportunity to learn in a different way, to learn different content, these are the sorts of things that are changing the nature of the future MBA. Certainly, I can see a lot of relevancy in that. I I am curious to know, if you think about one of the hallmarks of particularly the full-time MBA program is the experiential learning that could sometimes happen, right? In terms of the programs that they offer, whether that's real live practicums, you know, working with company or a nonprofit or something like that, or just sometimes some of the more structured learning programs that are offered in an experiential way. I'm curious, where you maybe see some of those elements fitting in, you know, kind of into the the future of the MBA, how either they still are relevant or how maybe they can evolve maybe to kind of, as we think about, you know, what employers really do want in the future. I think it's fascinating because, of course, the case study method has been a big component of the MBA for many years. The difficulty has been all too often that those case studies are five years old. You know, they're about, and in a world where we've had COVID for the last 18 months, which has turned the world upside down, five years may as well be 50 years or 500 years in some respects. What you get now and what you get particularly with online is that real life learning. So you're part of a team perhaps working on a project and you've got somebody from marketing, somebody from sales, somebody from finance, somebody from logistics, somebody from tech, and you're all on the team together. And also layer on top of that, you're perhaps on five different countries around the world. You're working to solve a particular problem uh, and you're applying that problem uh, in a very real-time setting. So I think that that experiential, if anything, is even more exciting than it was before. Let's not forget case that is very relevant still. Uh, Large companies have some really interesting projects. But if you're you know, in the thick of it, you know, really you know, deeply embedded in your career, then to have some input from outside, almost like a group of small consultants you know, who can come in and support your uh, work, but do it while you're learning at the same time, is incredibly valuable. You know, that, that interaction is a, a, a real positive in terms of the future of the MBA. So one thing I'm also been thinking about is so there's the the learning side of this and what needs to change. But uh, as you as you mentioned, you know employers are very much interested in the the skills that people are building so that they can find ways to employ these people, whether it's through existing people at these companies who are looking for new roles or getting better at their role, but also obviously 
uh, as you know, um, MBA programs or programs of higher education in general are feeders for, you know, many, particularly of these larger companies who employ large swaths of, of graduate talent. And I'm just curious from your perspective, if there's anything you heard from employers just around that side of the house in terms of, you know, employment outcomes or where they might go differently or how they might think differently about trying to recruit and hopefully uh, acquire some of these new graduates who do have these skills. You know, did anyone talk about that or, or what they're thinking about in terms of how they're going to think differently about looking and sourcing talent? Yeah, I think, I think what's, what's interesting for employers in terms of the way they approach MBA recruitment and MBA learning is it doesn't now have to be a single hit. You know, we're finding more examples of people you know, doing some learning, going back to work, doing some learning, going back to work. And because of that, they can ensure that what they're learning is right up to date and appropriate for where they are in their career at that particular time. Whereas you know, somebody told me recently, they said, you know, this is another example, computer science degree. If you do a, a bachelor's computer science degree, what you learn on day one is out of date by the time you graduate. Now, the same to a certain extent is true of an MBA. If you take an MBA 10 years ago, what you learned 10 years ago and where you are in your career today, it's likely that a lot of that learning is simply out of date. Whereas if you do the MBA over an extended time period, if you do it in a modular fashion, if you, you know, pick and choose almost like a Netflix MBA, where you take the right things at the right time that are going to be you know, right for your career and your employer, then that's a much smarter way of learning. There's a lovely example I heard of uh, in Singapore. The education minister gave a, a speech and um, it was reported, I think this was January last year. They talked about enrolling students for 20 years at university. So the idea was, you know, perhaps you'll begin your undergraduate, you would finish it, you'd go and work, then you'd come back and finish your undergraduate, then you'd go work again, start a, a master's degree maybe, or simply do a short course, an executive short course in a particular subject. Maybe after a period of time, you'd have another short course and then a, a third. And over a period of time, these short courses would add up to the academic credit you need for an MBA. So very much about, you know, there is no... You know, the, the past used to be, here we are, we're the university, we're the business school, this is what we offer. This is how you do it. Today, the market is twisted around completely. Instead, the individual is taking much more control uh, of what the learning looks like and how it's delivered and what the content is. And so, you know, I don't have to start this day, I can start this day, I can start when I like. It's it's much more flexible. I can finish when I like. I can do what I like in you know, the, the components that make up the MBA. So I think that, you know, it's, a, it's really fascinating if you can find schools that are flexible in that way and understand the changes in the market. I'm really glad you brought up that example because it was something I did want to talk to you about in terms of talking about this idea of the, the Netflix MBA or the Netflix uh, program, if you will. As you mentioned, kind of on demand, you watch it or consume it when you need it. And really moving from the traditional either four years and then done at the undergraduate university level or the two years and done at the MBA level to more of a, a lifelong relationship, which is where kind of that lifelong learning kind of ties in. What I am curious about from your perspective, and I look at this through the lens of um, I used to be a marketer, right? And so as a marketer, I'm thinking about kind of what does that customer relationship look like and, and how do you develop that lifetime value? And even as a as a consumer, I think about, you know, what are the 
what are the companies out there? What are the brands out there that I have maybe a, a 20 plus year relationship with, right? You know, for me, you know, I think about maybe like a Coca-Cola or like a, a Nike, if you will. And when thinking about what they have to do to win my trust, you know, for 20 years. So using that as kind of a metaphor, what do you think universities or MBA programs for that matter have to think about or do differently, you know, to win the trust of these consumers for 20 plus years versus maybe uh, two years or, or, or maybe four years? Yeah, and, and I think one of the big things is they have to have a different perspective on alumni relations. So, you know, there was a big push to get MBA alumni to financially contribute to their, 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 their school. Yeah, that's still important, of course, but actually what is of more valuable, more value to the alumnus is to help them with their career development, with their learning and development as they go through their, as you said, a 20-year experience potentially. And I think you, know, you add into that thought leadership as well. Is, there in, you know, is it coming back to me? Am I getting the support from the institution about you know, different ways that business is changing, different ways that the world is changing? And add a third dimension into that, can you actually help me with my career? Can you introduce me to new job opportunities, perhaps through the alumni network, perhaps through the corporate network? But the two should be pretty closely melded together. And I think you know, perhaps there's a future where a university actually develops a subscription model uh, in terms of the way people do their learning. Perhaps that university even starts using artificial intelligence to suggest new programs to an individual who's you know, they know something about what they've learned in the past. They know something a little bit about their career today. Out of that, you can use the data to develop you know, the potential lifetime learning experience. Uh, and that will be a really strong offer for the university. Certainly. And it sounds like that is really exciting, but it also sounds like it, it's definitely a, a challenge and, and something that a lot of universities are not only going to have to think and work differently about, but certainly have the skill sets and the operations in order to be able to, to make that happen. But let's suspend our thoughts on the, on the uh, university for a second. Let's talk about maybe the, the learners. You know, what do they have to shift differently, right? Because this will be, you know, you know, I went to college for four years and I got my MBA for two years. And while, you know, I'm still very much a part of those, you know, communities in some kind of way, um, even for me, that might be a different way. I need to rethink and re-examine my relationship with, with those universities. But what do people like me or other kind of learners out there, you know, what should they be thinking about differently in terms of how we maybe perceive how we traditionally have thought about higher education or learning in general? Yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. I think that the first thing is you know, learning doesn't stop, you know, there perhaps has been a, a tendency in the past to think, you know, it's a very linear pursuit, you get to the end point, and you've learned everything, you've got your MBA, what more do I need? The, the big change in terms of mindset is actually, the MBA might be the end of the beginning, but it's certainly not the end full stop, there's so much more learning to do beyond that, even if it's only driven by changes in technology. But also, it may simply be, you know, we, we did a study, I think, at the beginning of last year, and something like 40 or 50% of students were saying, I expect to work for myself or set up my own business at some point in my career. Well, that's an enormously different way of working than being inside a, a large company. And so there's a, a, you know, that means a different mindset and an openness in terms of what you're going to learn and where you're going to learn and how you're going to learn. I think I'm just going to come back on to this, this point about the universities and, and whether they have the skills to deliver these sort of things. I think it's a really important point. So many universities 
their focus has been perhaps 18-year-olds, maybe 25-year-olds, maybe up to the age of 30 even. But it's a very different relationship when the person you're dealing with is 40 or 50 or even 60. They want something very different. They're much less interested in that campus experience. They're much more interested in their customer experience. And do the universities have those skills to deliver? Do they have the B2B skills to work with employers in much uh, more deeper ways? I think it's fascinating, again, both employer and individual and university. They all need to change. Yeah, they all need to work in a different way. Sure, sure. I know. I, th- I think that's fair. I think everyone needs to to own their part of the equation in this if they want to thrive in, uh, in the future. And as we think about the future, maybe we can maybe transition and kind of um, end this conversation around, you know, obviously, you know, as you were doing this research, I'm, I'm hopeful that you came across some good, some good examples of maybe how either employers or even just universities really over the past 18 months have innovated in some kind of way, whether it's from the digital learning perspective, just really rethinking how, you know, maybe employers, you know, hire candidates. I'm curious to know what were some bright spots over the past 18 months in terms of things that you saw that were exciting or perhaps maybe small examples of bigger things to, to come? So I think, I think <clears throat> from the employer perspective, what is interesting is how a number of companies are now offering learning as an employee benefit. So you've got companies like uh, Starbucks, Walmart, and Target, and now just, just this month, Amazon, announcing that they'll do free college education for their 700,000 employees in the US. So you know, this is a completely new approach, largely well, driven by a couple of things. First of all, it's probably cheaper than recruiting somebody and training them up. Uh, secondly, it's going to retain staff, so you're not going to lose as many, so there's less cost there. And third, these companies need a whole host of new skills. And if they've already got somebody working for them that they trust, that they've worked with for a number of years, then that's a great person to take forward into a new career. So from the employer perspective, I, I think that's a really interesting development. From the business school side, you've got people like you know, the Geese School in Illinois, you've got in Boston, you've got some really interesting low-cost solutions for the MBA, which is opening up the market to a whole host of new individual learners who previously wouldn't have even considered you know, that MBA possibility. You've also got some interesting programs. Here. We've done quite a bit of work in Australia for the University of New South Wales. They have a great online MBA called the MBA X program, where you can pull in different components to the MBA to make it a specialist MBA. You look at somewhere like IE in Madrid, where they have this concept of liquid learning, where you can switch from on-campus to online and back again if you want to. So that's a, a, an interesting concept as well. So I spoke to somebody, I think it was uh, I think somebody at Oxford, and they said, you know, we're starting our first short course online program. And the one thing they said that was most important was you have to take a risk. Not everything is going to work. Not everything is going to be perfect first time. You have to be committed to that risk and know that, all right, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, or this is grow fast, you know, fail quickly. Oh, I can't remember what the, the, the wording is, but the, the idea that, you know, historically, universities tend to be very conservative. 
they tended to, to react to market changes. If they're going to be leading market change, if they're going to be innovators, then risk is going to be a part of it. Not everything will work. But if they get it right, if they can take the faculty with them, if they can take uh, the market with them, if they can take employers with them, then the opportunities, the, the, the potential to really drive an exciting new future for learning uh, are enormous. No, Andrew, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think I think that's I think that's great. And Andrew, thank you so much for this conversation. I really enjoyed hearing more about the report and what you found, as well as your, just your own thoughts on the the potential evolution of the MBA degree. If our listeners want to learn more from you or hear more about the report, where can they where can they go or where can they find you? So certainly, I go go to our website, CarringtonCrisp.com. Uh, you'll find a whole host of things. You'll find stuff about the report. You can download the report free of charge. Uh, there's a page where you can do that, but there's also articles that we've written, this thought leadership uh, about some of the issues in the report. There's uh, media coverage uh, of the report as well from the various uh, titles around the world. So uh, there's a lot of information there. You can also read about some of our other studies, tomorrow's MBA, tomorrow's master's. Uh, so there's a, a vast amount of information there. Hi, everyone. LD here, and thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.